Welcome to the Greener Way podcast, a show about people, planet, and purpose, and how investors and corporate leaders push forward in a complex world. On this episode of The Greener Way, we're speaking with the Investor Group on Climate Change Advocacy Manager, Michael Bones. IGCC has recently launched a two-year strategy to help investors put money in investments that will help our changing world adapt to the impacts of climate change. And we're going to discuss the task ahead, what investors can do, and what it means professionally and personally to embrace the really severe negative impacts of climate change and what it means. Michael, welcome to The Greener Way. I feel like we've been talking for so many years about climate advocacy and investing, so it's a real pleasure to finally officially have this conversation on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Rachel. Can you tell us a little bit about your role at IGCC? And then let's get into this adaptation strategy uh, that you helped co-author with IGCC. My role at the Investor Group on Climate Change is Advocacy Manager. So that's within the policy team. And essentially, it's, it's taking all the good work done within the policy research and the positions that we build up um, in partnership with the investors who we represent. And it's putting that information in front of parliamentarians, in front of journalists and in front of public servants and other stakeholders, showing um, just what it is that the investment community is asking for and needing to help accelerate not just decarbonisation, but also adaptation and building resilience to climate change. Let's talk a little bit about this adaptation strategy that got launched at the Climate Summit uh, in Sydney recently. What is an adaptation strategy and, and what are some of the key features here? Yeah, so look, you know, I, I put my hand up to run this strategy process when I joined IGCC earlier in the year. I'd done similar sort of strategic processes at uh, other organizations mm-hmm. and I wasn't quite ready for the journey that I was going to go on, but it's always a, a good way to learn. I guess in my career, I've been mostly focused on overcoming the hurdles of, that, that are blocking just sort of the basic things we need to do, like get more renewable energy in and, and reduce emissions from fossil fuels. Mm. So this was an opportunity to turn my mind more towards the fact that there is a certain amount of warming that's already locked in, that that is going to have negative impacts in terms of fires, floods on our on our communities, on our natural environment, on infrastructure. Mm. and to really explore, okay, what is it that we need to do to properly prepare for that which we know is coming? Mm. And how do we help investors leverage more money into those solutions? So at a high level, a lot of money is spent on disaster recovery, um, but not enough on disaster preparedness Mm. or developing systems that are better able to cope with rapid flooding, Um, increased fires, that sort of thing. So the strategy process was really taking a bit of a systemic look at all of those issues and figuring out what sort of goals investors should be going for and and what objectives we should really have to rapidly adapt to the changing climate and to start building in more resilience to the system. It feels like this this strategy, uh, it's a strategy whose time has come, but I think at this particular moment, um, as we're entering sort of the Australian spring of 2023 with an El Nino effect coming on, it really, it feels in the air that there's this feeling of we're bracing for something not great to happen in the coming months. Um, So it's, there's sort of a really interesting sort of emotional pull to the moment of launching this strategy as well, I feel. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. <laughs> so let's get into it. What are the key features um, about this strategy and, and what can investors do per this strategy to move around the barriers to investing in an ad- adaptation? Yeah, so I guess we'll start with the the vision or the, the end goal, mm. the target outcome. Mm-hmm. And that is that investors are managing climate change's physical risks by driving urgent economy-wide adaptation and resilience. Mm-hmm. Our members at Investor Group on Climate Change are, are what's called universal owners. They're big super funds, primarily um, asset owners and managers that invest in the whole of the economy. Mm. And so really addressing the economy-wide issues is, is the goal here. And mm. we broke it down into four key objectives. The first one is integrating physical risk and resilience into existing climate-related activities. So there's been a lot of work done over you know the past few years with investors understanding, okay, how is a decarbonizing economy going to impact, impact our portfolio and investments? And what does that mean? What we're wanting to see is that investors start to implement physical risk uh, measurement and and strategies mm-hmm. into those processes that are already existing. The second objective is around a shared understanding, and this actually came up in in one of the workshops that we ran with our uh, investor members, and that's that investors, companies, governments, and communities all develop a shared understanding of physical climate risks. Mm. So, for example, a lot of the climate models didn't predict the Black Summer bushfires that we experienced. And and the emissions impact of those bushfires was enormous. Mm. Not only the human cost and the economic cost of such a widespread disaster. So we know that these large catastrophic events actually do sit outside of a lot of the current modelling, which really means things likely to be worse than we expect. Mm. We've also already seen warming sort of happen at a faster rate than models have predicted. Another example is that the intensity of rainfall um, is, hap- is, is happening at a, twice the rate that scientists expected. So what we're seeing is that actually across the economy, across people who are making decisions, allocating capital um, within companies, within society and communities that need to respond, we actually need to get this shared understanding of what it is that we're facing mm. so that we can properly prepare. And that comes to the third point, which is that investors need to step up and advocate for investable policy. Policy sets the preconditions under which investments are made, value is created, Mm. um, decisions are made at many different levels within an organisation, within companies, again, within institutions. So that public policy needs to proactively address physical climate risks and then facilitate investment in adaptation and resilience. And that gets to the fourth point, which is, you might remember, as I said at the mm. start, a lot of capital is going towards cleaning up. Mm. But as my um, my grandmother used to stat- say, a stitch in time saves nine. <laughs> so we want to get a few more of those stitches in time, mm. front-ending into the adaptation side. So that fourth point is really delivering that necessary private capital because we know that the government can't pay for all this themselves mm. and we know that there is a benefit in investing upfront in adaptation and resilience. We just need to tweak the incentives to make sure that we're able to do that because that outcome is we then reduce damage, disruption and loss 
of value from climate change's physical impacts. So that's that's the overall target outcome and objectives. And I would encourage people to jump on our website and look for Road to Resilience, our physical risk strategy, to dig into more of the key results around what what specific actions we think can help drive those outcomes. We'll be sure to drop a link to the strategy into the show notes for this, Michael, because it, among other things, it was, um, it was a very, it was a well-written document as well. Uh, enjoy is the wrong word, but it was, it was a good document to read through. Well, thank you very much. It was a, it was a big team effort and yeah. um, shout out to Kate Simmons, who's IGCC's um, physical risk specialist who had a, mm. a very, very strong hand in, in the, the writing of it as well. Excellent. So now you mentioned um, a few minutes ago, you were talking about the fact that you conducted workshops as part of the development of this strategy. What's been the IGCC membership-based reaction to both the development of this strategy and now this final document that's come out? It's been very positive. Mm. Um, as you mentioned, the, the strategy was launched um, at our annual summit just last week mm-hmm. um, with the Assistant Minister for Climate Change, Senator Jenny McAllister, mm-hmm. and our CEO, Beck McCullough-Wright. And look, the power of a strategy is that it's easy to understand and easy to remember and repeat and implement, mm. right? So at the end of the day, does it work or not? And do we know whether it works or not? And oftentimes, these big systemic problems, it can feel a bit overwhelming to know where to start. And that's really what we're trying to do with this strategy is just break down where do you start. And so, you know, by starting from you've already got climate-related processes, you know, within your organization, have a meeting around, okay, what are we doing with physical physical risk? Mm -hmm. And again, lots of investors are already doing this. They're already going on the journey, but fewer have taken that big step into physical risk than um, we think is, is sort of necessary. Mm. Many are considering it. And so what we're trying to do is just give that prod and, and really clear the way to make it more simple for the advocates within organisations to get it on the agenda and and start to yeah help their organisations make those, make those steps. And look, it can be challenging because there's already a lot happening in terms of just the decarbonisation piece, right? Mm. And these are small teams people already have a lot of work on in their day-to-day. So the role that we play is trying to yeah, bring the, uh, people together to, to have that big conversation, um, get on the same page, glean those insights, and then summarise it hopefully in a really useful way that can then be shared amongst our, our investment community here. You bring up a really good point that I want to hone in on, Michael. Um, when it comes to mitigation and adaptation or decarbonization, is this an either or, or is this a, is this an, a yes and conversation? I would see it as a yes and, you know, it's yeah. two sides of the same coin. Mm. We need to radically reduce emissions mm-hmm. as, um, you know, safely and as quickly as possible. But again, at the same time, there is a certain amount of warming and impacts that are locked in mm. uh, and we need to prepare for those now. I think the other thing that really stood out here, and and I really want to salute you because you were ta- you've been talking about this across a variety of platforms. Um, the science is so heavy here, right? You know, you're talking about you know disasters happening outside of models, impacts happening faster than scientists would have predicted. Um, how how have you dealt with this? You know, the, the, how heavy the 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 impact of climate future is, and and you know, I'd like to think a little bit about how we can 
sit with this sense of grief that a lot of us have um, while also trying to take positive action. So like, how have you, how have you mm-hmm. dealt with how heavy this all is, Michael? <laughs> uh, good question. And yeah, that was what I, I suppose prompted this conversation as well. Mm. Um, I shared on LinkedIn just a bit of my own personal story in the writing of the document, which, mm. as I said, I've primarily looked at, okay, what's blocking decarbonization and what do we do about that? And for this, I, I needed to dig back into the research and the literature. Mm. I was in in Canberra during the Black Summer bushfires, um, living, breathing smoke for days and weeks Mm -hmm. on end, seeing the impact of that within my friends um, and sort of, you know, my brother, my my network, having the mental toll from that. Mm. But what I found is that, you know, facing up to the magnitude of uh, the challenge Mm did have a negative impact on my mental health. I, I started just breaking into tears at, at random times, like at the gym or going for a walk, and to the point where it it, it blocked me from actually being able to sit down and do the work. So, mm. you know, I'm, I'm really grateful that, you know, over the years I've developed a range of strategies for maintaining mental health and emotional resilience, and one of those is just simply seeking help. So I reached out to my team members, I told them that I was struggling. Mm. I handed bits of it over. I spoke to our um, employee assistance psychologist and was working through, you know, is this something I just need to chunk the tasks down or do I need it to step away and allow my nervous system to reset? And I decided that that was what I needed to do, mm. which was, you know, in a strategic process, there's you got things you need to get out the door at certain times and there's, you know, clearance and procedures and all that stuff. So, mm. But I was really lucky to have just a great team that I could lean on and hand over work to and know that that was getting done and particularly want to shout out my colleague, um, Beth um, Richards, who stepped in and, and really helped a lot during that time. And then I, I took some time off. Mm. I played putt-putt with my girlfriend. <laughs> I went for a walk in the woods. I reconnected to nature near my home. Mm. Um, and I allowed myself to grieve and be sad and to cry. Mm. And I think, you know, particularly in culture today, um, there's still a bit of a hangover of tears as being seen as a weakness. Mm. But I would encourage people, particularly men out there, that you do need to connect with the feeling that does come up from confronting these tough issues and go through those feelings. And then once that sort of process had happened over a few days and I, I did I needed to take close to a week off I was able to come back refocus on the task get down you know head, head down bum up and and punch out the rest of the writing mm-hmm. and hopefully something useful will come from that but you know it is it is a big challenge and so many people who do work that they care about um, will at some point have that encounter with their own mental health in it. So, mm. yeah, to summarise, look after yourself. Don't let it stop you from doing the work, but but listen to your body, listen to what you need, mm. take a step back so that then you can return to the fight, you know. Mm. Sometimes you've got to just go to the benches for a little <laughs> bit and let your mates take over. 
I think that's such a beautiful image that, you know, within a community, you know, and and so many channels I'm thinking, I'm pinging through my head that, you know, I write about and talk about with people like you, you know, psychosocial safety at work, you know, optimism and positive. And I, I kind of wonder if a lot of the focus we do on, on mitigation and decarbonization and looking to the future and technology um, is a protective device that we put in place because we want to envisage the positive future that we're hopefully working towards uh, without really dealing with the the heavy stuff that that's going on right now. It's sort of the flip side of, you know, pushing so far forward uh, that it's sometimes it's a way to sort of push the rest of the back. Yeah. Look, we need both. Yeah. Because right? and, and and part of the problem is a psychological problem mm. that we all have around. Um, it's not pleasant to think about bad things happening, you know, mm. and so we, we put it off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we need to have a mature conversation about the realities that, you know, mm. some places in Australia mm-hmm. are not going to be livable anymore. We've built houses in floodplains. <laughs> what are we going to do about that? Yeah, We're still building houses. I went to an adaptation conference a few m- months ago as well. Mm. Places that developers were told would be uninsurable. Mm-hmm were then developed, people bought these properties and now can't get insurance because they're on floodplains. Mm-hmm. Like we've got to stop doing these like absolute no brainer <laughs> things. Um and then work towards some of the more complex um you know components of of adapting. Excellent. And so in the few last few moments we have together, Michael, Road to Resilience, what where to from here? What do you hope that this document now becomes? Hopefully it's the start of a conversation for a lot of um, people mm. and organisations. So I really appreciate you um, having me on today, Rachel, to, to talk about it. Our, yeah, our goal is really, you know, these, these are the high-level objectives we're going to be working towards at IGCC, mm-hmm. um, playing our role, and also want to shout out to the process that Senator, Senator Jenny McAllister is working through in terms of the national risk assessment mm. and the adaptation plan that will be coming off of that. Mm. Um, you know, the government is making really strong moves towards creating that shared understanding, but it is on all of us to contribute to that process and think about, you know, how it works at the grassroots level as well as the treetops and all the way through the trunk. So um, that's really the the thing that I would leave with your listeners is have a read of it, think about what parts of it apply to you personally and your organisation. And if you're interested in having more conversations about it, please, yeah, feel free to reach out to myself or the team at IGCC. All right. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Investor Group on Climate Change Advocacy Manager, Michael Bones, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Greener Way. Thanks so much, Rachel. Thanks for listening to The Greener Way podcast. If you like today's show, remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Any feedback? Contact us on podcast at fssustainability.com.au. I'm Rachel Allen Backus. The Greener Way podcast is a product of FS Sustainability, a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The Greener Way podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal, or tax advice. 
The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian Financial Service License and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, fssustainability.com.au.